Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. And today we are going to talk about a past leader, a man who led an incredible life and spent much of it here in the Northwest. David Williams, the executive director of the Hydroplane Race Built Museum in Kent, is also an author, and his brand new book is a biography about that man. I'm talking about Myra Slovak. A uh, one-time hydroplane champion driver, airline pilot to Bill Boeing Jr. He worked for the CIA for a while, so much more. David Williams, welcome. Thanks for spending time here with us today to talk about Myra Slovak. Well, Gary, it's great to be here. I am just thrilled to be talking about one of my favorite people in the whole world. Myra was a really good friend, and I'm thrilled to have been able to write this biography for him. Yeah, and it's the kind of biography that, I don't know, overdue, I guess. Um, you know, a lot of small, short books are written about race drivers, but he was so much more. I'm glad you wrote this book because in the Cold War, I don't know if a lot of people, I don't know where to start. Let me just start my own, uh, <laughs> it's called A Race to Freedom, right? Yes, sir. And he really was interested in freedom his whole life. He started his life behind, uh, well, the, I don't know. See, I've already messed up. <laughs> I'm glad I read the book because now I know the facts. Before World War Two started, he was born in the late 20s, right? In yes, 1929. What was then Czechoslovakia. Yes, sir. Um, World War II came, the communist party, and, and he's got a, a fascinating life. You, you start us off with his childhood. I guess the book sort of starts off. He's, I, I, World yeah, War the, II started, he was 9 or 10 or something, right? Yeah, he was a child during World War II, and um, his family um, actually took a couple of Jewish families, refugee families, and hid them in the basement for the majority of the war. Um, Myra was also in a position where he was able on more than one occasion, to take uh, food, bread, and water to the deportation trains that rolled through his town on the way to Auschwitz, uh, just across the Czech border in Poland. So from a very early age, Myra learned to uh, not necessarily uh, follow the government, but follow your heart and do what you know is right. Then in the the late 40s, after World War II ended, if, if you're a student of history, you, you know that when the war ended, it didn't just end. Um, the, the U.S. was closing in on the Germans from the West. Uh, the English were closing in on the Germans. Uh, and then the Russians were coming in from the East. And uh, when the war ended, the, occupi- the, the Allied powers sort of stayed where they were, and they divided Europe in half. And the, uh, the English and the Americans took the western half of Europe, and the Russians took the eastern half of Europe. And before long, Czechoslovakia was totally dominated by communist Russia. And that was a life that Myra, uh, he actually hated the Russians more than he hated the Nazis, though he hated the Nazis too. Um, and uh, b- But more than he hated anybody, he loved to fly. So when he was quite young, uh, when he was 17, he enlisted in the Czech Air Force. And he had a meteoric rise through the Czech Air Force and became a captain at the ripe old age of 21. <laughs> that may be the youngest airline, or Air Force captain in the, the history of the Air Force. Um, and there's, there's a, a good description of how that happens in the book. But Myra became a captain in the Air Force. Um, the, the communists uh, in 1951 purged the Czech airline of anyone they felt had too much contact with the West. Well, airline pilots flew to the West all the time. So there was a national airline company that these these communist countries had their own, like, national airline. It was nothing private. And these pilots were leftover flyers during the war, but some had escaped to England and fought against the Nazis. Yes. And the communist 
leaders were leery of them, let's say. Yeah, they, they were leery. Um, because they like freedom. <laughs> exactly. They tasted the you know, they tasted the, the wine on the other side. And uh, so the communists uh, purged the airline. So suddenly there were hundreds of openings in the airline. So the Air Force loaned their best pilots to the airline. So Myra got loaned to the airline. Um, and he continued to um, have, have run-ins with the communists and felt that it was an awful way to live. And finally, in 1953, he decided to defect. And he was involved in a hijacking that um, he and a couple of friends orchestrated where they hijacked a plane that Myra was flying. He was pilot. He was the pilot of an airliner. Pilot of an airliner with 23 passengers on board. And he hijacked his own airplane. Um, and he fought with the co-pilot and knocked the co-pilot out. And it's a, it's a pretty exciting story. It's gripping in the book, yeah. And he flew to... Um, they actually wandered around Europe in the middle of the night in an airplane trying to find a place where they could land. They uh, first wanted to fly to Frankfurt, but the it was late at night, and the poor guy that was on radio duty at, at Frankfurt could not promise them asylum if they landed in Frankfurt. So they tried to fly to England, and they got about to the channel and found out that the uh, that London was fogged in, and they wouldn't be able to land at London, and they were looking for an alternate place to land, when finally the folks at Frankfurt decided, all right, it's okay, come back here. So they flew back to Frankfurt and landed in Frankfurt. Um, but in a, in a strange twist of fate, while Myra defected, he brought with him in the airplane a huge cache of very important documents that the communists did not want to leave the country that he was able to turn over to the American CIA. Um, and that, too, was covered in the book, the description of what the documents um, entailed. Uh, because of this treasure trove of documents he brought with him, he spent uh, a couple years working very closely with the CIA. And when his work was done, they asked him, well, what, what would you like to do? And he said, well, I want to fly. I want to be an airline pilot. They couldn't send him to America and immediately make him an airline pilot because he was an officer in a communist air force, which meant he was a member of the Communist Party. And there were some big hoops that had to be overcome to allow him to fly a U.S. airliner. But what they could do is get him a job working for Bill Boeing, which is sort of the next best thing to flying <laughs> for an airliner. Um, so Myra began to fly for Bill Boeing Jr. And in a uh, another one of these coincidences, Bill's wife, uh, Marcy Check, was, um, her parents were from uh, were, uh, Czechoslovakian descent. They spoke Czech. Um, and so they embraced Myra like a second son. So Myra became the, um, the sort of surrogate son for, for Bill Boeing's mother-in-law. Yeah, that is such a great... I didn't know that, and that's so cool to hear that in the book, and you write about it so well that this sort of, he gets love. I mean, talk about a stranger in a strange land. When you've decided to defect, leave everything you've known behind, your family included, and cut all ties, and then you're at the mercy, and he's, he's still suspicious of everything, the way he grew up hearing about and working for a government, and these strange men in green trench coats that would come around <laughs> and take away somebody that seemed to weigh heavy on his life, his whole life, and that he ends up being enveloped in real love by people here in Seattle that <laughs> speak Czech and, and that love him and welcome him with opening arms. And it's and it does so much for his career too that it's with his 
boss now, the Boeing, and he flies a personal uh, plane for Bill Boeing to wherever he's going to go. And then Boeing hires him. Uh, if I can jump ahead, uh, you know, he, right? He he says, oh, "I'm going to get into this hydroplane uh, fad that's going on here in the Northwest," and builds a boat and has Myra drive it. Right? Yeah, um, and even though hydro racing is still a pretty big deal. It's hard to imagine how how big a deal it was in the 1950s. And all I can say is that if you were in Seattle during uh, the Seahawks Super Bowl run, yeah, that's what hydroplane racing meant to this city, that same type of passion, that same type of fever. And um, it, it even included a, a intercity rivalry where uh, the Seahawks have a couple rivalries, whether it's with San Francisco or whether it's with... Uh, New England or or Denver, you know, everyone has their own choices which right. rivalry is best. But the Hydro guys had a rivalry with the city of Detroit, and in 1955, um, over 500,000 people were at the race and saw our boat lose to a Detroit boat in what a lot of people thought was very controversial. It was, oh, of uh, course, it's like uh, pass interference. Why didn't you call it? Yeah, and ex- you talk oh, ex- about it for years. Exactly, and they did talk about it for years. And it is that Detroit ex- stole the Gold Cup from us. They they did, and it inspired that winter for three wealthy businessmen. One was Edgar Kaiser of Kaiser Steel, Kaiser Aluminum. Um, the other was was Bill Boeing, and the third was a fella named Bill Wagner, uh, who was had had real money. He was an oil man that had uh, the the largest oil refinery. Uh, in in Texas. Um, But those three guys were big Seattle fans, and they all got hydroplanes. And Bill Boeing asked Myra Slovak to drive his hydroplane at Seafair. The the Miss Wahoo. Yes. And it was called Wahoo, not just because that's a fun thing to say, but... that's where his wife, right? Right. That's where go back to the wife, and she was. From, there's a town in. Is it Nebraska? Yeah, Wahoo, Nebraska, and and Bill Boeing's wife, Marcy Check, was born and raised in Wahoo, Nebraska. So when, actually, kind of a smart move when he decided to go boat racing to make sure that his wife didn't feel that you know she was left out and here he was <laughs> spending all this money. He said, "Oh, I'll name the boat after your hometown." Yeah, so that's what all husbands should do. Then, if I have a hobby, I'll get the wife involved because, yeah, that's that, nice. Exactly. Good touch. Exactly. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, and he really became successful with that, and Bill Boeing Jr. for s- several years. Then that Miss Wahoo, and uh, and hydroplane racing, and Myra Slovak became pretty well known around. Yes, the, uh, uh, the Myra actually won. Uh, he won two national championships, and he won a gold cup. And he won several other races. So he was not just, uh, you know, he wasn't kind of a, a bit player. As a matter of fact, in 1960, Sports Illustrated still covered hydroplane racing. And they wrote a very nice story about the two biggest names in hydro racing. And they were Bill Muncie and Myra Slovak. Um, and uh, it, was, it was something that Bill Boeing really enjoyed, Bill Boeing Jr., because it was, it was important to the city but it wasn't the Boeing company, and it allowed him to be seen as supportive and successful in a way that was independent of, of the airplane company. Uh, we are talking with David Williams. He's the author of a brand-new book called A Race to Freedom, the Myra Slovak Story. Now, this book is on sale starting tomorrow, uh, if you're listening to this here when we're taping it. So, uh, original air, we may rerun this several times. May 28th, right? The book starts on sale. Yes, sir. But you can go to Amazon right now. You can order it. You can even read a chapter or two. Right? I think that's the way they do that, right? Uh, fascinating to start that book uh, online and read a few quick chapters. 
Uh, but people can order it on Amazon. Sure. They can order it, go to a bookstore starting tomorrow and buy it at the museum, the Hydroplane and Raceboat Museum in Kent. You'll do a book signing, right? We in do the have a week or two. Was it the 8th, right? Yes, we have a book signing coming up on June 8th, and I would be happy to autograph uh, a copy personally. So there, there are a number of different ways that you can get the book. It, it comes out on Amazon, uh, and Amazon gives it a hefty discount, so I have to... Yeah, I have to give them a plug. It also is available on Kindle. It also is available as an audiobook. And oh, that fun. Is, that is really interesting to to listen to an actor perform your words. Um, and, and that will be out on Audible uh, tomorrow as well. And then you can, you can, so you can get Kindle, you can get Audible, you can get the Amazon book, or you can come down to the museum and, and uh, I'd be happy to, to autograph your hard copy. Excellent. So people should line up to get that. A Race to Freedom, the Myra Slovak story. So it's not just about hydroplane racing, because like you said, you started this off with, uh, gosh, I kind of want to go back to a few things that really made him the guy he was for his whole life, not just sure. his racing career. Um, so there's a part in the book, I think he's 9 or 10, his mother, his mother, an influential person, was it Maria, right? Yes, Maria. Um, she was a fun character to write They about. ran like a saloon restaurant. And she sent him down to this train with his brother to give him bread and water to these Jews that were headed to their death. And she knew yeah. that, and he wasn't quite sure. But, man, there is quite the sentence or two in there where he realizes where these Jewish-named people in his neighborhood has gone when he realizes what's going on. And and also, another, I think, key point, the a guy he was in uh, either the Air Force with in or Air airline Force. that just— Disappeared one day with these men in green trench coats show up because he had said, for thinking, for thinking out loud. He didn't done anything. He just thought. He had a few thoughts out loud that were seemed subversive. And this affected him his whole life. He And that's, I love the title, A Race to Freedom. He was living and breathing freedom and the the real sense of that his whole life. Well, well, Myra, if there was one word to describe Myra, it, it would be freedom. That was the most important thing to him. And it was important to him because he'd seen it taken away. Um, and uh, yeah, we we are very comfortable here in in the U.S. and uh, we can find a million things to complain about. We do, and we do, but but we've never really faced the loss of freedom in that way. Where people in in it was more than one person. There were two that I mentioned in the book, but there were several who were just arrested in the middle of the night and then never heard from again. Um, and uh, Myra spent most of the rest of his life once he got to the states talking about freedom, trying to explain how, how precious it was and how easily you could, you could lose it. And that was, if, if any one thing, you know, Myra was successful as a hydroplane racer, as an airplane racer, as a stunt pilot, as a uh, commercial airline pilot. He did 800 trans-Pacific crosses to and from uh, Asia as a, as a pilot flying for Continental. He was successful in so many ways, but whenever he got an opportunity to speak in public, he always talked about how, how freedom was the air you breathe and that you had to protect the air that you breathe. Yeah, he so he was a successful hydroplane racer, and that's why I know the name, and I was glad to look at the book. And then, man, once I started it, so after his hydroplane career, he flew planes to race, race yes. planes, and at the same time, he did get a uh, Continental Airlines uh, job. By the way, uh, <laughs> one great part of the book is, he wanted to, and he, I think he said this more than once. You said it while he was working for the CIA. I want to, first thing he wanted to do, 
This was during the Korean War. What do you want to do? I want to go to Korea and fight communists. Well, you can't because, uh, uh, you, you know, you remember the Communist Party. There's hoops to jump through. But Senator Warren Magnuson and President Eisenhower got a special bill drafted just so he could end up at least flying commercially. And he got a commercial pilot's license. And he was an excellent I mean, I mean, thousands and thousands of hours as a commercial airline pilot. Thirty-eight thousand right? five hundred hours as a commercial pilot. Flying DC threes at first, and then seven oh seven, the first real yes. airliner successful jet. Seven forty sevens, right? Yeah, DC tens. He, he did it all. He did. He he flew pretty much. He flew over two hundred different types of planes. Um, he was the first man to uh, to fly a glider. Across the Pacific, or the Atlantic, I, rather. Uh, I that's love a that. fun Solo chapter. Solo flight in a, in a little teeny powered glider that can glide for the most part yeah. over the Atlantic. Yeah, and, and he used to joke, and, and this is actually the title of one of the chapters, um, the, the glider was powered with a Volkswagen engine, and he was able to go from New York to Paris, from, from London to New York for $23 and, and some cents. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, That's the cheapest transatlantic passage that you'd ever get on an airplane. Wow. Um, but he, so after all of those things he did, he was still wanted as a public speaker. Like you said, he would go to a, a 4-H or he would go to Cub Scouts or he would yes. go to a, a Rotary Club and stand up and they would clap because, oh, he's a stunt pilot. Oh, he, he used to drive that uh, hydroplane. But he would talk about escaping communism, how bad communism and what freedom is worth. He left his family behind. And and, and, and that was one of the things that's hard to imagine. Um, he had to keep his his escape totally secret because he knew that as soon as he left, his mother, his father, his ex-girlfriend, everyone would be interrogated. And if they had any inkling that he was about to do something, at, at that point, it was illegal in Czechoslovakia to know of an escape attempt and not report it to the police. So if his family knew, they would be arrested. So he had to keep it a secret um, when he was actually escaping. He could not take anything extra with him um, he only came with $3. That Even, would look suspicious if he packed an extra bag. Right. If if you're going through security and you have you know, a big wad of cash or if you have an extra pair of underwear or extra socks, um, he... Uh, Even the airline pilots themselves had to go through this kind of scrutiny, not just the passengers who might Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of us, like you said, we really don't know enough about uh, the Cold War and what it was like in Eastern Europe because, you know, the walls fell in 89, the Berlin Wall, and things changed so much. Czechoslovakia had their own sort of velvet revolution where Czech yes. Republic and Slovakia broke apart peacefully. Um, did he go back ever? I mean, he, he did see his mother once or twice. Yes. His, his brother, right, asked for asylum somehow and got here. Yeah, his, his, uh, his brother was allowed to travel in 1968 during a very brief period of time— um, this is it another called, part of history not even a lot of us know. The, the Prague Spring is yeah. what it was called. Uh, and travel restrictions were uh, were eased, and his brother came over and decided to stay and defected. And at that point, Myra was driving for Bill Hara of, of, the, of the Harris Casino. Yeah. But Bill Hara and, and Myra won races for him in a national championship for Bill Hara and was very close with Bill. The Tahoe Miss, The right? Tahoe Miss, I love that exactly. Boat. But um, Hara had a huge car collection. And Myra's brother, Yarda, it became his job to drive a, a car carrier all around the U.S. picking up the cars for Hera's collection. Um, Myra's mother also came to visit during that period of time. While she was here, uh, Brezhnev, uh, the prime minister of the Soviet Union, rolled tanks into Prague and took over Prague in what was the largest 
uh, use of military force since the end of World War II. And then Myra's mother had to make that decision, the opposite flight of Myra. She was here in the U.S. living. She'd been on a, a, a month-long vacation, but she had to decide, should I go home to be with my husband and the rest of my family, or should I stay here with my two sons and, and live in freedom? And she decided to go home, and that was terribly difficult for her to decide to fly back into a oppressive totalitarian country, leaving her boys and knowing that she'd never get a chance to come back. And once, uh, like I said, he still could fly everywhere. And if he's not on a flight, being a member, people you know, know that pilots uh, can pick up a, a flight sure. for either cheap or free and go almost anywhere. So he did go back to Europe, Eastern Europe, right after the he, communism fell? After communism fell, yes. What did he think? I mean, did he th- sort of have self-doubt? Man, I outlived it. I could have stayed in... Well, it, what, what were the thoughts of the guy? Because a guy who defects and leaves his family behind must have these questions his whole life and sort of be torn inside. And you do write about that, and it comes through. And imagine you did so many interviews with him, it comes through. What, tell the people what he, he really felt about... When, when he went home... Um, first, he was struck by how totally changed the country was. And he even commented, you know, when the Nazis occupied, they were awful people. But as soon as the Nazis left, Nazism left with them, and we came back to being normal. The Russians stayed for 40 years, and when they left, the soul of Czechoslovakia had changed, and it changed for the worse. Um, He described the country when he went home as gray and cold and dirty, um, and that people wouldn't look you in the eye and they wouldn't be cheerful on this street. And uh, everything took place on sort of two levels. There was the public level of being very austere and very quiet, and maybe they'd be friendly behind closed doors. Um, and he did feel that type of guilt. Um, Gee, maybe I could have stayed and could have fought here and done more good for my country here. Um, and I don't want to give away too much of the end of the book, but he realizes at, at one point he's confronted with what would have happened had he stayed. And he had uh, a couple of friends who were, in fact, executed by the, yeah. the Russians. And he knew with total certainty, had he stayed, he would have ended up being executed. The kind of guy he was that I learned about in the book, the passion he had, there's no way he would have been able to last very long. With, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of us can't keep our mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, David, we're going to run out of time, so we're talking with David Williams about a, a brand new book called A Race to Freedom, the Myra Slovak Story. Look it up on Amazon, Cold War Stories, uh, Arab Pilots, uh, Hydroplane Racing. <laughs> I don't know what kind of hits you need to find it, but it's it's there by David Williams, the Myra Slovak Story. It's called A Race to Freedom. It's out tomorrow. Um but you are, yeah, not just a writer, the director <laughs> of the Unlimited Hydroplane Raceboat Museum in Kent. Um, he, you rebuilt that boat he first drove. Yes. Well, you made a replica of it, right? So he was still around, and you asked for his input, right? How involved was he, and was he glad to see that, or was he, yeah, that's my past. What, what kind of? Well, Myra, uh, the, the, the boat that was a love, of his life, a love of his life was always a Miss Wahoo. That was his first boat. That was his first victory. And he loved that boat. But it was destroyed um, in a devastating accident in 1966. Um, we rebuilt the boat, and we brought back Bill, uh, Bill Boeing and Myra Slovak together and had them there when we christened the boat and ran it. Um, and first I gave Myra a ride. Ah, um, so wait a minute. This is like 2007 or 8 or 9 or something? How old was he? 2009, and he was uh, 79 years old wow. when we gave him the ride. And I tried to be, you know, I've given lots of rides over the years, and 
I felt a bit of a fraud giving a ride to one of the greatest drivers ever. <laughs> but uh, so we went out and we ran a couple laps, kind of kind of comfortable, maybe 130 miles an hour. And I'm way out in lane three to make sure the boat isn't, you know, go through a tight turn and rock and roll too much. So I tapped him on the shoulder and I let him take over the steering wheel. And, and two things happened simultaneously. First of all, I could feel a big heavy foot smash down on top of mine and the accelerator goes clear <laughs> to the floor and the boat leaps up to about 160 miles an hour. Um, and then he grabs the steering wheel and we're in the middle of the straightaway. Um, and he turns hard to the right and I'm thinking, what? what's going on? And we get into lane one and he straightens out in lane one. And I, I was racing turbine boats that year as well. And in the, the turbine driver's meeting, the officials had told me, all right, they told all of us drivers, these buoys cost $400 each. And if you hit one, that's $400. So I'm sitting there next to Myra and he's aiming right at the first buoy. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I, I'm going to have to pay 400 bucks. And he skimmed by the buoy about six inches off. And we did a complete lap around the race course and never missed a buoy by more than six inches. He was right on the buoy line. Uh, and and he came back in, and we both just laughed hysterically because it was <laughs> such a, such an emotional, poignant time. Now, we did let him go out again, uh, take the boat up by himself the following, well, two years later. He couldn't make it the next year. But at 81, um, here at the Seafair Race Course, he did go out, and that is, as far as I know, the official world record for the oldest guy to ever take an unlimited hydroplane out on an unlimited race course. That's awesome. This guy sounds like, I mean, you know, there's a, a beer commercial with the most, this guy seems like the most interesting man in the world. I, I wish I had known him. I, everybody can get to know him through this book. It's called A Race to Freedom, the Myra Slovak story. Uh, David Williams is the author. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming in and sharing this. Like I said, the book is on sale starting tomorrow. Uh, you can go to Amazon now and pre-order it, right? Uh, you can also order it to the Hydroplane Museum. You can order it at uh, ArcadiaPublishing.com. Um, and you can get it pretty much anywhere that sells books. I've, I've heard uh, Barnes & Noble. I've heard uh, Fred Meyer, Hudson's Bookstores in the airport, uh, even... I've even heard it may be on sale at QFC eventually. Well, how about that? And they'll look for book signings, too, because you've got to have an autographed copy. So I know at the, uh, the museum on June 8th and probably just after the hydroplane race here, August 8th, third place books, the one near Seward Park, right? Yes, sir. Oh, that'll be fun to get an autographed copy of A Race to Free from the Myra Slovak Story. Thank you so much, David Williams, the executive director and author. Uh, uh, of this new book. Uh, thanks for spending time with us, and a much bigger thanks for telling the story of Myra Slovak. Truly fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gary. Thank you very, very much. I am Gary Shep. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.